It is indeed, and uh, 16 minutes it is before 9 p.m. here on the Metro FM Talk on the Mighty Metro. And, uh, yeah, my thought leader today, Ozenemvula. You know, we're here in Johannesburg. There was, you know, a hailstorm earlier on. Hey, you know, driving conditions were bad. Um, And then, you know, when I checked the runner again, I mean, I checked it in the afternoon. But when I checked it again, I'm like, oh, okay. No, no, no. Now this makes sense. Now this makes sense. Uh, her name is Susan Gambule, and uh, she is the CEO of Nafasi Water, and she joins me here in a studio. Susie, welcome to Metro FM Talk. Hello, Aya, and thank you for having me. Yeah, man, thank you so much for bringing the rain. Well, we I should was call you. It was very we should call you Susie Zanemvula Gambule. <laughs> <laughs> it was nice getting off the plane at the airport and just feeling some raindrops because Namibia was so dry. You got back today? Two hours ago. I say. No, okay. unfortunately. No, no, well, I mean, it would be a risk. It would be a risk <laughs> for someone <laughs> uh, for someone of your stature. Susie, thank you so much for taking time out to speak to us uh, uh, this evening. I, I certainly know it's been something we've, trying to, we've been trying to put together uh, for quite a long time. But mm-hmm. let's maybe start off here, I mean, just with Usuzi. Before we get into Avenge Water, Nafasi Water, yeah. uh, and all of the other big strides that you've been making, who is Susie? What drives Susie? Uh, and more importantly, what's your background? Well, I'm a, I always say that I'm a Pan-African child, really. Um, I grew up in a normal South African township in Nelspreet, Mpumalanga, mm. and I had a great childhood. But what I always did not appreciate was the way that, as black people, we lived. Mm. You know, mm. We worked for very, very far from where we lived. So as a kid, you don't really get to see your parents because they're always gone too early and back too late. Mm, and that's mm. still the reality for a lot of kids. But also just simple things that we considered doing that were fun. But as you grow up, you realize that they actually shouldn't be things you spend your afternoon doing, like going to collect water because there's no running tap water at home or mm. it's not clean enough on the tap. You have to go directly to the treatment plant to get cleaner water. And infrastructure issues like that that just take away productive time from whether it's education or developing a skill or mm. anything like Cause that. Because they have an opportunity cost, right? Massive You could be doing cost. something else. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so so those things are things that I've always uh, been passionate about. And I was blessed to be able to go um, to university. I studied structural engineering. I went back. I, I did um, finance and investments and infrastructure. But infrastructure is really my thing. Mm. Um, so you like the built environment? All I, I, That's my okay. thing. That's what I'm passionate about because I think that's how you truly improve uh, lives. Before mm you can worry about the digital age or anything like that you need to give people a dignified and challenging place to live but Mm. challenging in all the good ways Mm. Um, and I think we've just failed to do that for our people across the continent so there's it's it's an area of immense opportunity whether you pick energy or Mm. water or transportation or living spaces it doesn't matter sure but there's so much opportunity I mean, what, one common thread along, across all of those different spaces is mm. that a lot of those spaces historically are very male-dominated spaces. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and leaving university and then going into the throes of this very masculine space, you know, a space where, you know, people are probably going to hear you say something two times and then probably <laughs> somebody else says it, uh, you know, has something dangling between their legs, then, you know, uh. it, it, it potentially gets listened to. How did you, you manage to navigate that space well enough to be able, you know, to get into a position where, at, in the end, you ended up acquiring the your employer, I, if I, I can put yeah. it like that. Um, honestly, I think, so I always had the three, I always say that when you're young and you're in your 20s and you're black and you're female, 
those are the three things that can be wrong with you in corporate South Africa that are just terrible. Mm. Black, young, female, black, young. female. Mm. Um, it's just a combination that's going to make life quite difficult. But you have to work hard. You have to know your story. But you also have to be willing to understand that you you need um, sponsors. You need mm. individuals that are willing to listen to you. And that when people like that recognize your talent, uh, you can't disappoint them. Sure. You have to work exceptionally hard. And I was blessed to be in, in places where I could find people like that who were willing to listen to me, but mm. also willing to then throw me in the deep end and teach me. Um, and through all of those processes, what I found was as long as you are a team player and you see other people and you're not a know-it-all, mm. you'll find a way to, um, to to have an impact while also growing and learning immensely. Mm. And it worked out quite nicely for me. It wasn't sure. always fun. Um, growth yeah. is not fun. <laughs> it's, it's Let's talk about that. I, mean, I, I like the point you make that growth isn't fun. No. Um, and I remember you know, a few years ago working in the consulting space, people used to often talk about stretch roles. So yeah. you'd be put on a project and you'd do things that you ordinarily wouldn't be doing for whatever sort of o- occupational sort of level you're in in the company. Yeah. But the idea is to stretch you so that you can grow into your next role. Yes. Talk to me about some of those experiences and also, more importantly, some of the mistakes. We often like when we speak to people like you to want you to sort of wax lyrical about your oh, successes. Oh, but how amazing it all was. But uh. yeah, I mean, where, where did you feel like, <laughs> yeah, here I bombed out. Here I made a massive mistake. No, I think for me... Like I said, growth isn't fun, but the the big challenge is always making sure that you don't get comfortable, mm. right? So I live in a constant state of just being dissatisfied. That's what that's and when I've learned I, to live with it. Yes, that's when I'm just the most effective. So I, when I when I reach one horizon, the next one shows up. I don't even celebrate the one I just passed. Ah, off air, you must give me your um, your, your potion. <laughs> and most people say <laughs> it's a terrible thing yeah. because sometimes, especially when you have employees, you sure. have to pause and. You know, savor the moment and I'm mm. already going like, okay, yeah, what are we doing next? Exactly. What I found to be the biggest challenge for me um, was leading other people. Mm. Because when you're in a role where, you, where it's all about you and you're running your race and it's just you, mm. it's your style, your way of doing things, your pace, everything is fine. Uh, the minute you're responsible for other people. And even they, older people, yeah? Uh, yes. Hey. They have their style, their gun. pace, Lengan. their way of doing things. And, mm. you know, your inherent way of doing things will be to want to sort of, you know, come and copy yourself onto them and make them mm. do things the way that you want them done because it's easier. And it's a massive lesson in trust sure. to trust other people to do things for you. Mm. Um, and a couple of times I've bundled that royally. Okay. You know, right. like, where I, like you, you end up working exceptionally hard because you want things to sure. look a certain way, sure. to be done a certain way. And you just have to learn over time to entrust other people were doing certain things. Mm. It's it's probably the hardest sure. lesson for high performers, especially mm. when you're young. Sure. Because sure. you're used to being so in control of things. Okay. Let's pause there for a second, yeah. Susie. And uh, we'll come back on the other side. I just want to take a quick spot break. But when we come back, I continue with the CEO at Nafasi Water, uh, Susie Kambule, And uh, we're talking about her life in the world of water. Eight minutes it is uh, before 9 p.m. I'm still in conversation with uh, CEO at Nafasi Water, uh, Susan Kambule. And uh, we're talking about her journey. Uh, to um, the role that she occupies. And of course, I was saying earlier on, Susie, uh, you then go and acquire your employer. Yeah. How did that happen? Well, when when a great opportunity presents itself and you're surrounded by really remarkable people and you click, it really doesn't make a lot of sense to walk away from something like that. I was ready to make the leap into my entrepreneurial aspirations and I was privileged that this was there and mm. I'd been running it for a while and um, it had a certain rhythm that worked for me. So 
I took up the challenge of trying to acquire it, mm. which was a two-year-long process, but it eventually closed at the end of at the, at the end of June last year, and uh, it's been a really interesting journey ever since. Sure, but water is such a great space that's mm. ripe for uh, disruption. That's the first thing, because it's just. Um, we're we're done with the beaver strategy. Sure. The, let's build the big dams and move the water around and clean it five times over. The old big business or call it big government business. Big utility type, yeah. Uh, yeah. And we're, we're going to head more towards private, regional type mm. utilities, smaller scale, uh, where technology has to be impactful at a block level sure. versus, you know, at a city level of 500,000 odd people. So... That's an that's an industry mm, that's that's ripe for, sure. for for disruption, and there's just not enough players in yeah. South Africa who are looking at it that way. So, I found my space, and it's and I guess you know disruption and innovation often fall on necessity. I mean, on on this platform, we we speak a lot to communities that yeah. are engaged in protest and uh, and the like, and you, you often hear this recurring theme: asnamans. Yeah, a lot of people don't have water, and uh, you add to that the fact that we're a water scarce country. You add climate variability to that. Yeah. You really have, you know, the toxic mix that has the makings of a perfect storm, you know, and yeah. excuse my pun there. But um, in that kind of scenario, I guess that's where the innovation comes from. Mm. From the work that you guys are doing, I mean, you said you just came back from Namibia. Uh, yes. What are some of the innovations that we're seeing that can really allow us to navigate what, in essence, is not just an economic issue, but is really primarily a social and a constitutional issue, which is access to water as a constitutional right? Yeah, but also the cost of not having it is exactly. catastrophic for everybody, mm. right? So I think we do have to face some very harsh re- realities. And the first one being that scarcity because of climate change is just going to be a thing. Mm. It's the new normal. It's not going to, to go away. Um, and then the, conserv- the, conversa- the, the, the conservation of what we do have, whether it's polluting it and mitigating the impact of that pollution mm. or cleaning it better so that it can be reused. So rolling every single drop of water a few more times at the same spot instead of down the river and then having someone downstream take care of it. And then also then answering to the questions of growth and development and the requirements therein. Um, and South Africa has a big problem. We've been tracking this 20, 2030 number since 2011, probably, mm. where the deficit is effectively five times what Cape Town used to consume when it was at peak before the restrictions. Five times. That's the shortfall. That's the shortfall in 2030 um, for the country. And for some people, that is that has already happened. Um, and the innovations in countries like Namibia, where this has been the conversation basically since about 2007, when all of their aquifers were effectively Depleted, starting yeah. to be overdrawn and have gone very saline. So you can't just dig and now get clean because um, it's water. salty yeah, it's very yeah. salty and it's very expensive to get salt out of water mm. everyone knows that um one of the the biggest in- innovations are all the in- innovations around pairing up energy food and um and water mm. that nexus sure and making sure that you can bring that to the people who need it when they need it the most mm. and the work we're doing in namibia yes we built at South- southern africa's largest desalination plant we've been running it for a long time it was an- intended for mine process water supply. Mm. So what, the uranium mines there yes. in, in Namibia? Yeah. yeah, the uranium mines in Namibia. And yes, it still su- supports them. It's critical uh, to their production. If mm. we shut down for a day and their tanks are not full, they stop. And so... <laughs> Just wh- why? Because of all of the cooling processes involved? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. so they cannot run without water and most processes can't run without water mm. because it's so normal uh, and it's been there the long time, the longest. None of us really think Just about take how it for granted, yeah. yeah. So the biggest challenge that we have at the moment really is the fact that whether you're talking poultry industry, textiles, um, energy, 
any industry, the baseline core utility that's in there is water. And its cost is becoming a much, much bigger issue. And for a country like Namibia, yes, they are blessed with a long shoreline, just like South Africa mm. is. However, their population is in the center. Yeah. Um, and they've, yes, they've tried to relocate industry to the coast, mm. but you can't exactly move everybody back to the coast. So the biggest question that I spent the last two days trying to figure out with um, some of the con- compatriots in Namibia is how do you get desalinated water to the center? How, is it feasible? So how do you get what? Desalinated water from a Valfus Bay to a Vintuk? Yes. And the problem is not the distance, it's the gradient because it goes from sea level to about 1,800 meters above sea level. And then how do you get it over all the dunes? Well, it's a massive pumping scheme. <laughs> the energy cost is going to be ridiculous. So again, like I said, and then it, along the way, there's the agriculture issue and mm. all of the industry that has died. And for me, Namibia is very close to my heart. It feels like home. Nothing feels different. Mm. Other than it's a absolutely beautiful desert. Um, and the innovations there really are focusing on the efficiencies sure. of, a, of a transfer scheme and using renewable energy to try and do that mm. and putting it at the right spots so that at least the feasibility could be well sure. consider, considered. If the northern scheme of getting more water from the Okavango Delta works, mm. which would have to be a um, a bilateral thing between uh, Namibia and Angola, Angola and mm. Botswana also has, sure, a, has sure. room to comment on mm. that. It's way more complicated. Yeah. you know. So obviously they would like to first understand what sure. they could do on their own without having to try and figure out how to negotiate between mm. three other countries. When you look at things like that in the region, I mean, and, and maybe I also want to overlay Grand Inga, to that same debate yeah. um, and this nexus between energy, water and food. Mm-hmm. What lessons does it have for us here in South Africa? Where I must say all three of those things mm-hmm. are an issue for us. Uh, yeah. It might be a food secure country, but for now. Uh, many, many people go hungry. So yes. it's also a food system issue rather than sort of a food supply issue. Mm-hmm. But but let's talk about that. Some lessons here. We've been hearing about desalination. There's certainly a lot of noise made around it when Cape Town was nearing day zero. Mm-hmm. And uh, yet e- the Eastern Cape where I come from has been in day zero for the last three years or so. And no one is talking about using that shoreline potentially for... Well, no one's talking about it in public because I suppose maybe there's not as much political heat around what's going on in the Eastern Cape. However, Mm. there have been feasibility studies that we've been involved in for supplying Nelson Mandela Bay and augmenting the entire supply in that region Mm. with desalination. However, there's an energy crisis there as well. So if you're going to put desal down without an external power source then it's a joint utility uh, project. But again, these are things that are perfectly solvable. But mm. what I think I want to leave you with for something to consider is the fact that there's two big questions here. It's if there's an excess of capital, which there is, um, the investment market is very interested in mm. investing in water. And then there is also an, a clear need. Why hasn't it worked? So why isn't water as a as an industry currently in South Africa investable? Mm. So we need mm. to ask, ask ourselves that question. And the, the follow-on question beyond that is, what are the market risks associated mm. with that and the willingness to pay or at least the perception sure. around the value of water that we as the public have that further influence that investability conversation? If we can start having those conversations, mm. we probably will move the policy links around sure, water sure. far further ahead than ever. Yeah, Kuma, I think we need to bring Susie back again for, for part <laughs> two. I think the issue she's raising there, I mean, I think it's a perfectly important issue because it also speaks to the bankability mm-hmm. of many municipalities who have the other parts of the value chain, the treatment yeah. plants, the reticulation infrastructure. Yes. And some of that can't always be funded from the fiscus. Um, you mm-hmm. know, can those municipalities go to the capital markets and raise that kind of money? But Susie, we're going to have to leave it there. But before I let you go, I mean, when you're not spitting high-level insight and, you know, giving us gems and wisdom, <laughs> Yeah. 
What is it that you do? I travel and read. What are you reading? Uh, at the moment, nothing because I just got back from New Orleans. Papa Ian. <laughs> what do I say to that? Now I'm going to tell New Orleans, the food, the jazz, the people. Of course, you're not going to be reading a book in New Orleans. I mean, come on. Susie Ngambula, thank you very much for your time. Really, really appreciate it. Always a pleasure catching up with you. Uh, she is the CEO of Nafasi Water and uh, an ardent reader and a traveler. And yeah, she's just come back from the New Orleans. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If uh, you're looking for gifts, January, <laughs> Susie's your person. Two minutes it is after 9 p.m. That's where we're going to have to leave it for this week. It's been a pleasure being with you all uh, this week. And uh, we'll be back with you again. Same time, same place next week. Limita is a Lorenza Yak Change up in Africa, Scam Africa, same but in a quiet and go. Sisai Banga, the economy.